0: Um, So on the the subject of full disclosure, since there is CME available for this talk, um, the focus here is going to be on planning and organizing. I know the title is Organizing and Leading, and uh, if you don't uh, plan and organize, then the leading will be a debacle. So uh, we're going to really focus on planning and organizing um, this morning. Leading is a topic that requires... Hours and hours and hours of instruction, and then a whole lot of experience, a whole lot of making mistakes. There are some, uh, there are an awful lot of good books out there. I refer you to uh, Leadership Proverbs by my boss, Dave Stevens. It's downstairs in the uh, in the CMDA bookstore. The other uh, disclosure I like, I uh, have to tell you all, is I like to read, and you'll see that as we go through here. Um, basic principles of uh, of uh, planning and organizing are what you see depends on where you sit. If I'm sitting in, in your seat over there, then I have a particular view. If I'm um, sitting or standing in this perspective, I have a different perspective. I have a different view. I have different bosses. I have different uh, equities. I have different expectations. I have different constraints, different resources. So so, so much of what we see and, and therefore plan for depends on, on uh, where we sit. What you find depends on where you look. And then what you get Often depends on what you do. Planning for uh, short-term healthcare teams depends on a whole lot of things. We're going to go through through five of them in in a quick outline. The outline is why, what, with whom, how, and then what now. So that'll be uh, that'll be my out, my outline, and um, how you will answer the questions that I'm going to float. There will be more than a few of them. Will really uh, determine just about everything else you need to consider. Because A will lead to B, B will lead to C, and and, uh, C, D, and E will really depend on you doing a good job in A and B and answering the question of why and uh, and what. Now, as much detail as I put into planning and and, uh, organizing and discussing all this, we have to fall back on the fact that our teams are God's teams. They're not our teams. He's got certain expectations of us, but uh, quoting uh, J.I. Packer in a book that he wrote about Nehemiah, he says, he says, After setting biblically appropriate goals, embracing biblically appropriate means of seeking to realize them, assessing as best as we can where we have got to go and pursuing them, and making any course corrections that our assessment suggests, the way of health and humility is for us to admit. To ourselves, And in the final analysis, we do not and cannot know the measure of our success as God sees it. So uh, we have to fall back on the fact that the outcome is going to be how God determines it. I just got back from Ethiopia a few weeks ago. I was praying for, for uh, God's team, that God would raise up the right people to go. And I always, in that same sentence, prayed that I'd have a big enough team, big enough in my mind, was different than big enough in God's mind. We had ten people, which I thought was too small. It turned out to be just perfect for uh, for uh, what we saw. So it's all it all comes back to uh, it doesn't come back. It starts and then all the way through and finishes with what God has in mind. So so let's go into into these in uh, more detail. The, the first uh, issue that you've got to answer, the first question you've got to ask, and the an issue you've got to address is what you desire from the experience, because that's going to drive so much. I'm going to spend uh, about uh, uh, 40% of the of the talk on on that. So, so you ask yourself, why are you going? Are you seeking to serve God? Are you seeking to serve others as a good steward of the resources entrusted to you by God? I've read something about that somewhere, so that ought to be on your list. We're getting warm. We're getting warm. Um, are you interested in adventure? Interested in having a good time? You inter- are you considering long-term service? So your short-term, your short-term trip is an uh, effort to kind of put your foot into the water, your toe into the water, and see how things are. Are you motivated by guilt? Lots of different, uh, lots of different issues here. That's great. Perfect. You are the man. Thank you very much. I'm I'm putting you in for a raise, right off the bat. So there's there's my there are my disclosures. There's my five questions. Ron, I don't Keith. I don't know if those are your hands or somebody else. Oops, they went ahead. They went away already. I don't know if those are your hands or Ron's hands. So anyway, are you interested in serving with your tools? Are you interested in uh, in uh, adventure? Are you interested in, in having a good time? Are you motivated by guilt? Are you considering uh, long-term service? You've got to ask these, these uh, questions in order to develop a personal engagement philosophy. What's your philosophy for what you're doing? Is it going for you, or is it for them, or is it for God? What might this look like? Could it be more than one of these? Could it be for you and God? Could it be for God and them? Could it be for all three of you? So why, why you go, so we're on the why question, why you go determines how you prepare and it sets your expectations. If you go with one goal and it doesn't happen, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be frustrated and you'll probably not go again. Last December, I was with a few of you probably in uh, St. Louis at Urbana 2012, and I spoke with a pharmacy student who came up to our booth. He had done short-term medical missions where he worked in the pharmacy all day. He handed out a lot of pills. He was feeling ambivalent about his experience. He knew that he was serving, but he was a little frustrated that he didn't do anything other than hand out pills. Those were words straight from his, from his mouth. And then, on the contrast, a few months before that, I had been uh, in a setting where I had some pharmacy students who were working in the pharmacy, and they were also working in uh, an eye clinic, and they were able to start spiritual conversations with students and follow through on these, I mean with patients. They were able to follow through on these spiritual conversations with patients, and they were able to pray with patients. They were able to go on home visits, and they were involved in all aspects of care. So what was different between these two settings? Uh, Were there predetermined goals that were met? Perhaps these goals hadn't been established in the first place. So, So right up front, the question has to be asked, why are you going? Um, Whom are you serving? How should you serve? What should service mean to you in the long term? And then there are a couple of those tougher questions. Um, Do you have victory over personal sin? Are you prepared to lead others to the cross? Are you prepared to lead others to victory over their sin? Lots of questions. I've got some ideas on how to answer these questions, but more importantly, it is to look at what God says about how to answer these questions. So the overarching goal in all missions is to make disciples. Don't have to read between the lines. This is one of my little extra slides. You're going to see a lot of these coming through. So so you don't have to read between the lines or something in Matthew twenty-eight, something in Mark sixteen, something in Luke twenty four, something in John twenty, something in Acts chapter one. Making disciples includes evangelism, it includes church planning, it includes equipping believers. Matthew specifically mentions going, and it mentions baptizing, and it it mentions teaching as methods to make disciples. So if you're going to go to to be a disciple maker, you need to be equipped to make disciples. And so growth in your own spiritual life is absolutely essential. Now fortunately, and not coincidentally, short-term missions offers you a unique opportunity for sustained spiritual formation, away from the distractions of a busy life here in the uh, in the U.S. Yeah, that looks better there than it does on my screen. That's good. When you're when you're uh, when you're here in the in the states, you're a little distracted. You're a little um, focused on phone calls and emails. Well, us old folks, it's emails, and for many of you, it's Facebook and texting and who knows what the latest cattle prod device will be. But uh, short-term missions is other-oriented. It's not self-oriented. It's other-oriented. Spiritual formation has at its center witness, service, human need, and relationship. Is that you, Kelly, I see sitting on the floor? Okay. So you're somebody in this picture is actually over there in the corner on the floor. You'll have to determine which one of those five it is. Um, why, is, why is spiritual formation uh, on a short-term mission uh, so much easier to come by, or why is that such a great setting? Um, one is, you look at the setting. It's often very far removed from your comfort zone and from your power zone. There's a lack of creature comforts. There's a little clean water. There may be little water, period. There may be some strange foods. Maybe uh, very little privacy, like three to a bed, sleeping with somebody to whom you're not married. Same sex, hopefully. At least on our trips, it will be. Um, strange toilets. Sickness on your team. We passed around the Cipro every morning and night, and in, uh, in some of our some of our sites. You're uh, jet-lagged and sleep-deprived. I know for some of us that's pretty much baseline all the time. But uh, it's uh, 11 time zones from the East Coast to uh, to Nepal. And it's 14 time zones from California to Nepal when you fly east. I don't know why we fly east instead of flying west, but that's, that's the way it is. Uh, you're apprehensive, self-conscious often working across language barriers, working across cultural barriers, lots of strange practices. There is pushing and shoving, difficulty communicating with patients. You can't explain patients how to take medications, if they will even take medications. We have a lot of expectations of of, uh, safety, of medication safety, of all kinds of things that we bring with us as baggage from our practices in the states that just don't communicate. They're just not uh, appropriate or, or they just don't apply in the settings where we are. And sometimes we don't know which ones apply and which ones don't apply. So, so it's, a, it's a challenge, very much a challenge. There are uh, risky settings, there's danger of kidnapping. There's uh, gang violence, religious tensions, and few apparent results. Few people may seem to listen and respond when you're talking to them, or so it appears. This may be cultural, as we'll, uh, as we'll discuss in a while, but also go right back to what Packer said in his Nehemiah book. Who's driving the, uh, who's driving the, the bus here? god 's driving god 's the one who is who is uh, causing the watering and causing the fruit. Our job is to is to sow the seed so let 's talk about spiritual formation for a few more few more moments. Um, focusing on God is good for you it 's very beneficial to focus on his love to focus on his power his provision. And his call for you, there are some uh, unique aspects of short term service that uh, that again make it a little bit uh, easier to focus on on god there's separation from obligations and distractions, as I mentioned, but then they' really a sustained time to focus on others and to and to uh, um, serve in a way that forces you to put your own desires, your own comforts behind. Local projects, when you're at home, often don't cut you off enough from your everyday rhythms and distractions and commitments to serve the function in quite the same way. And if you look at successful, and I'll put successful in quotes, successful spiritual formation involves giving to God and it involves giving to others. And God has designed a plan to produce such transformed people and that plan involves the Holy Spirit working in your life he has expectations and then he, the Holy Spirit enables this transformation look at the last few words that um, John the baptizer's father Zachariah look at read that in um, Luke, in um, wherever it is the first chapter of whatever the gospel is and just his prayer to God when when uh, he's able to talk again, and and just look at the last few verses about empowerment, about how the Holy Spirit will empower to to uh, meet the Holy the Spirit's expectations. Okay, so that's number one. That is really focusing on why you serve, and that is the most important question to answer before you before you move forward. The next big area is is uh, in what you plan. is is, what do you plan to accomplish in the site where you're ministering? Is your goal to provide medical care, dental care, and surgical care? That's great, uh, but but it's important to ask which of those. And um, are you going to include more than than one of these? Are you going to include an overt faith component? Do you plan to evangelize? Do you plan to plant churches? You plan on enhancing existing church planting movements. You plan on working. How do you plan on working in and through your national partners? This is a very small group at the bottom of the stairs. But but then uh, when they were just uh, celebrating and worshiping and giving testimonies, a a a note was slid under the door. First note was... was, uh, Talk louder. And then the second note was open the door a little wider. And then the door was open and look what was sitting look who was sitting on the stairs. This is dozens of, of people in a culture where where doing this was just not uh, not acceptable. So are, is your is your goal to do that short term medical, dental, surgical care, the, the spiritual aspects, or you want to engage in long term development such as water projects, sanitation, health education, nutrition, sustainable agriculture. Um, if these long-term tasks are important to you, are you going to use your short-term medical trip to enhance such, sharp, such long-term work? How are you going to do that? Again, working through all these things, asking the questions. Answering these questions leads you to several concrete steps, and that will be, that'll be the rest of what we're going to talk about um, Questions or steps three, four, and five are going to be choosing your national partner, with whom, and then how, what's your team going to look like, how are you going to recruit your team and prepare your team. So, choosing your national partner. This is uh, huge all by itself. We could spend hours talking about this, barely brush the subject. Um, for us in global health outreach, we have about, we send about 49 or 50 teams to about uh, 24, 25 countries every year. We have national, we probably have about 27 national partners in those 25, in those 24, 25 countries. And maintaining, building and maintaining, sustaining, uh, redirecting, ending those relationships is a full-time job for two of us. Oh, by the way, we have a couple other things on our plate too, but it's a full-time job to, uh, to do this. So so the questions you ask when you're uh, trying to engage with a national partner, what kind of work would you like your national partner to be doing? Are you going to partner with somebody who does development? Or, or and I'm saying or because there's a contrast here, are you going to partner with somebody who does evangelism and church planting or some related area to that um, When when we were driving uh, down to uh, our our site in Ethiopia a few weeks ago, uh, I noticed our two national partners. They're both both under the same umbrella organization. Uh, The guy in the front is on the faith-based side of of, uh, that partnership, and the guy in the back, the guy on the right, is on the sustainable development side in in, uh, Ethiopia there the NGO cannot be licensed by the government to do both you can do one or the other so we, we partner with both of them and uh, and the great thing was the the guy in the front was showing the guy in the back this book and this is called tea for tea a discipleship revolution and he had just uh, he had just gotten a copy of it in the philippines and was excited about it and when we first went down in this particular area there were there were a couple of dozen churches in their in in their early stages. Um smallest one was about fifty people. But there were a couple of dozen churches in this tribal area that had not been had not been visited by a medical team in the past. But after reading through this and then really really praying over it and looking at where they could go, they they put a mark on the wall for them to establish a thousand churches by twenty twenty. So seven more years to go and their goal is is a thousand churches, and when you read through this and you see the the uh, um, technique that these guys are mentioning, it's a technique. It's it's the axe the axe technique. Um, it's not uh, by no means is it unique, um, but uh, very exciting. We have uh, partners in a, in another country um, in a continent that is spread all over the water. And covers a couple of time zones farther east, and we have uh, we probably have five different groups that make up our partnership there. There's the the International Christian Medical Dental Association chapter in this country. Then there's another group that is all of the all of the healthcare workers, Christian healthcare workers, and. In uh, this country, it's an international organization. They have chapters in many different countries. There are a few individuals. There are a few people who are doing church planting in frontier frontier areas. And then, and then there are the right government uh, officials at the right time. So, so we, have, we really have a partnership of five or six different groups. And we're kind of the party planners. We're not um, coming and expecting any of them to serve us. We're there to serve and to catalyze them working together so that they can they can uh, um, deliver health care and spiritual care to, uh, to the needy people who have both health and physical needs and emotional needs and, and uh, spiritual needs. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to, to explore those. Those national partners sometimes are doing, uh, are doing an absolutely superb job. Um, another question you ask is, what are you going to leave behind for your national partner? You're going to leave a mess for them to clean up. You're going to leave a. Um, you're going to leave more open doors. You're going to leave them four or five months of work of different people to visit, um, to to do follow-up uh, spiritual care. We we have. Uh, are, are you going to leave them problems with government officials? That's not. Those are some of those are not the right thing, to leave behind. In one country where we work. uh, Another NGO that is not faith-based had had, uh, been working in this country and had submitted the uh, package of credentials on all the medical personnel that were on the team, had submitted that to the government, and at the last minute, a week week out, um, one of the docs had to drop off. So they substituted somebody else in without substituting any credentials. And when they landed in the capital city and somebody from the government visited their team and looked at the credentials, they threw them out. They threw the team out and they said no more teams can come into the country. After about six months, they said, okay, teams can come in, but when you come in, you need to bring, your team leader needs to bring your credentials and meet with the Minister of Health and have your, have your credentials reviewed at the tune of $150 per person on that team. So, so that's the kind of uh, mess with government officials you don't want to leave behind. So building and maintaining your relationship with your national partner is a huge task. Your worldview will define your expectation, and your, part, your national partner's worldview will drive their expectations. You will struggle with communicating about your mutual expectations because your expectations are going to be different. You think and communicate in one way, and they almost always think and communicate in another way. And you're going to think that you're right on the same sheet of music. You could even try to write an MOU, a memorandum of understanding, and see how that works. So you you will struggle with communicating, and you will struggle about money. Just expect it, prepare for it. Don't be surprised by it. Don't let it derail your activities. That is one of the biggest ways that the deceiver will seek to derail you, and that's by getting you frustrated. I've been frustrated on on these trips, and I just step back and say, no, this is this is going on for a reason. Some some of it is to help me to persevere. Some of it is because. This person who's giving me this hard time, see my worldview coming in there, my definition of a hard time is not being able to bring my things into their country according to their rules because their rules seem to be changing. Actually, there's just variable, variable reinforcement of their, of their rules. And I know we never do that in the United States, so I should have no expectation that anyone else would do that. So don't let it derail your efforts. Um, there are some great resources out. Did I? Did they already go by? There you go. Those first two up there are excellent um, resources for partnering. The first one by uh, Pluteman is on leadership, expectations of leadership when you're working in other settings. And then uh, the second one on money, the complexities of money. And then the third one is, is, uh, is shorter, a real quick read, great on, on uh, money issues, specifically in Africa. The top two, at least the top two are available in the bookstore downstairs, the CMDA bookstore downstairs. So I highly recommend those. So communicate about expectations. Words do not always work. You've heard the difference between high-context high communication and low-context communication. My wife and I have fun with this. Um, we are different. We come from different cultural backgrounds and different family backgrounds, and uh, low-context communication, email will do just fine because it's simply the words. But when there's volume, when there's eye contact, when there are all kinds of other things associated with that, then then the words aren't nearly as important as as, uh, the setting in which they're said. In your relationship with your national partner, be prepared to enter into a mutual mentoring and discipling relationship with them where they will learn from you and you will learn from them. There are many things that you need to learn from them about working in their cultural context. And there are many things they need to learn from you. And it may be what they'll learn from you is about planning and organizing and prioritizing and budgeting. Or you may be terrible at those four things or two of those four things, and you can learn from them or, or from others on, on that. But you will walk through these areas again and again and again. It's a lot of fun, and it's a lot of, uh, lot of challenge, a lot of challenges there. You need to de- to develop the cultural intelligence that's crucial to getting your arms around these cultural issues, these worldview issues, these communication issues, prioritization issues. cultural intelligence is is uh, uh, not something you can read about and pick up in a hurry uh, the list there's a, lots of books that you can read uh, that are not up on these on the slide i've got a few up there, but the list Is really too long. Experience is really the best teacher. And then, of course, you can follow me after this talk and go to Dr. Alan Reeser's talk on cultural intelligence at 920 in Education 280, right? Okay, you can pay me later for the commercial. (laughs) Um, The the national partner issues are huge. Don't blow them off. Don't try to take shortcuts. I... uh, I was told when I spent more than a few hours with our national partners last month in Ethiopia, I went a few days early to meet with Minister of Health officials and tried to identify and address some of these issues that were making it so difficult to bring medications in the country. And uh, and we had some really good talks. We drank a lot of coffee and uh, and had some really, really good talks. And and this was with one of these guys – the guy on the right in the, in the, uh, in the bus, he, um, he was getting to know me. He was kind of feeling me out a little bit. And, and after we talked a bit and understood, he understood our philosophy of coming in to serve him in his ministry, he was just so relieved. He said, so many Westerners come in and say, we want to work at such and such a site and we want to do such and such a task. Will you work with us? And... Well, no, I'm not going to take your money, or I'm not going to provide more jobs and an additional income stream. All too often, the answer is yes, out of necessity. But then they're, all they're doing is facilitating somebody else coming in and doing what they wanted to do, um, from back, usually from back in the States. He was very relieved that we, we, I mean, we do short-term medical and dental and surgical trips. And, and if he's looking for somebody to come in and do something different than that, then I can help him find somebody who really does that. Our, our forte, our bag of tricks, our, our strategic toolkit is to help open doors in hard areas with, with medical and dental and surgical care. And so, how can we come alongside you and open doors, whether these are geographic doors or cultural doors, so that your ministry is enhanced, your credibility is, in, is enhanced? So we're here to serve you. We do need water. We you know, toilets are optional. Well, for some of us. I have visited a lot of termite mounds. Um, we need we need certain things so that we can work. Like we need to be able to get into the country. We need to have access to medications. We need to know whether we bring our own medications or whether we buy them in country. Are there any good are they any good in country? What's available? Those kind of things. What's the environment going to look like in What's the medical environment? We need a lot of things for us to use our strategic toolkit in in your country, like um, Brian Fickert. Fikert? How do you pronounce his last name? Fickert, Fickert said last night. Um, are you going to do or are you going to serve or or uh, wasn't exactly the words he used? So so we do in a certain way, but we do it in an or in in order to. Enhance the uh, ministry of the people who are on the ground. So, don't blow them off. Somebody, somebody uh, approached me yesterday to to bring teams into um, a tough area that's going to be dealing with uh, refugees coming out of Syria. And and I started asking him a few of the. I mean, he, again, we were sniffing each other and trying to get an idea of of uh, how we work, and and, um, he was asking a few questions, and I was saying some of the things that we ask, and he said, I am so relieved that you are asking those questions because so many groups would just come in and wouldn't care at all about any of that stuff. So the fact that we're asking some hard questions and have some requirements in place is good because it shows that we're doing due diligence and we recognize that those kind of things are important. And in that area, a lot of it's security, it's, it's cultural. What's appropriate to do and what's not appropriate to do. Because as soon as we come into the country, a lot of people learn that we're there, and it's certainly people in the refugee camps if we're working there. But we had people coming from coming from Kenya, crossing the border into Ethiopia to see us. We learned after about three days that that people knew our names, where we were from, within a couple of days. I don't know. I don't know what kind of social network can they use in this part of Ethiopia, but the word got out pretty quick. So we're not going to be able to control that. We depend on our national partner to, uh, to help with that, that and guide it, protect them, and protect the ministry. And then, uh, and then finally, what is the list of all the tasks that you have to do to accomplish your goals? If you're doing medical work, As we do, there are professional requirements. Do you have to have licenses to practice medicine in a particular country? Who needs licenses? Is it just the the people who are going to see patients? Is it just the physicians and and PAs and nurse practitioners and dentists who need licenses? Or do pharmacists, nurses, and, um, and other people on the team need licenses? You've got to find that out. You've got to find out how the process for getting those licenses. You've got to understand travel requirements. Do flights go in and out of this country every day, every other day? What are visa requirements? Is it easy to get visas in the airport when you arrive? Is it nearly impossible? What are, what are the rules? What are the customs issues? These are absolutely huge. We have, uh, again, 25 countries we're in, and here are the uh, – Customs requirements for these 25 countries. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten pages. These are good for about ten minutes because the, the rules will change. And you'll know that they change. We know that they change when on Saturday night we get a phone call from pick your country, anywhere around the world, and say they won't let us in unless we have such and such documentation, which wasn't the case Thursday or Friday. Um, So it's always fun. It's always a challenge. Um, What are the ministry requirements? If if, uh, your national partner is faith-based, and it's made up of faith-based evangelists and church planters, how are you going to make sure that the logistical requirements on on the medical side are uh, addressed? Getting medicines, patient flow, managing referrals, managing licenses, um, other medically related issues. How are you going to make sure that those things are taken care of appropriately? Um, If your uh, national partner is medical, how are you going to make sure that the spiritual planning, is is addressed as far as having people who can counsel, people who will pray, people who will follow up uh, and uh, coordinate all the different uh, different churches. Logistics issues. Boy, where do we start? Huge line. Medicine. Back to medicines. Can we purchase them in country? Well, probably. Are they any good? Or do you take them with you? The... Um, uh, USAID funded a, a study three or four years ago with the uh, U.S. Pharmacopoeia, is that how you pronounce that? Uh, where they looked at uh, five different countries on three different continents and they looked at five different essential medications that are on the WHO list for, for essential medications. One was for tuberculosis, there was an antibiotic, a couple of others. And they looked at quality, they looked at bioavailability of the medication and, and looked at the quality. And, and it was it was random. It was all over the map. In one country, one one uh, company would do a great job on manufacturing one or maybe two of those. In another country on the same continent, it would be just the opposite. So you have to have really good on the ground knowledge of uh, of what's good. Or do you take these you take these medications with you? Well, then what are the requirements? We found out in uh, Ethiopia last year that the that the requirement is not only expiration dates and lot numbers, it's also manufacture dates, the country in which they're manufactured, the the uh, company that manufactures them, and then they even wanted certificates of analysis on every medication that we brought in. You guys probably don't see certificates of analysis. We're working on getting them. We've been told that, yeah, they are available. Um, that's uh, a, a huge challenge. We can only bring in... Ethiopia, what's on their formulary. Bismuth, 300 milligrams is on their formulary. Do you know what our strength is in the U.S. for bismuth? 262 milligrams. Can't take it in. That's how picky things can be. I was told two or three medications that couldn't come in, but I had seen them on the formulary, and so I I apologized and said, I'm sorry, I must be using a different version of your formulary and she realized, oh, yes, they really were on the formulary, so they were able to come in. Um, how um, back to medical and dental and, and licenses for all others, it varies dramatically. That country that I mentioned where the package has to go to the Minister of Health on the first day that the team arrives, actually that would be the first business day, so, of course, we don't arrive On Friday night or Saturday in this country, we arrive on Sunday night so that they can go in on Monday. So, so you're not killing a couple of days um, at high living costs in the capital waiting for, uh, waiting to get in. The uh, authority was delegated down to the medical university, and one day the, the one trip went in, and the, um, the uh, guy who was the dean of the university who had the approval. Authority uh, was not in town; he was out of town. So, what do we do? Well, fortunately, his secretary approved everything free of charge. So, there are there are some uh, some benefits there. Um, how far in advance do people need to apply for them? We've got a team that goes to another country where they require they're required to have medical licenses if they work in a different setting, but in another setting they don't have to. So, and they applied; they were not able to get. Uh, um, Licenses, so that drove where they worked. The uh, local medical s- uh, system, how will you work with the national system, within the national system? Are you going to work in a government clinic? The government going to sponsor you working in their clinic? Will you have national folks working alongside you? Will you work alongside national folks? I worded that differently because it drives a lot in, in how you present um the, uh, the way you're coming in. Uh, are you going to compete with the national system? I uh, highly discourage that. Doesn't leave good feelings behind. But how are you going to interface with with national medics and then and with the leadership over them? Are you required to have nationals on your team? to to take official responsibility. You don't have licenses. You just have to have a national doc, national dentist, and they're the ones legally responsible. That's the case in some of the countries where we work. And that's great because our national partner has a national doc and a national dentist, both of whom are followers of Christ and are, are uh, the top cover for what we do. In another country, the national dentist was not a follower of Christ, he was also incompetent. And the national partner finally <clears throat> or eventually fired him and uh, they got rid of him and got, a, got somebody else. But again, that that's, requires a lot of give and take, a lot of interaction with your, with your national partner. Uh, it's great to have to work alongside people that are competent and that are like-minded spiritually. Um, it's all, it also helps when, they are, uh, when you're working with people who are socially appropriate and let me add to that sexually appropriate, more and more of an issue these days. Um, Are you going to seek out national medics to work on your team and other in other areas? Will they volunteer? Will they expect to be paid? Just all kinds of things that drive a lot of what you do. And then team building. What requirements are you going to put in place for people who you're going to recruit on your team? Um, Keep in mind whose team it is. It's God's team. God's going to teach you much through the team that you ultimately have. What are the faith issues that matter? I, um, I'm ranking things. The first one up here is from about 3,000 years ago, and then the second one, is, division, is from about 600 years ago, and then, and then we come down to some others. What would, you, what would you take? Who would you take? How will you know where people are in all of these areas. We have uh, certain criteria. We take those groups and this is what we this is ultimately what we desire. Sorry, this is not going to be on the slides that I hang so you'll have to look at that. Um, we have some interesting discussions with people when they, when they come, but does the, denomination the matter? You've got to decide in advance what's important and what's not important. Remember, we have lots of different denominations in the U.S. for a reason. Some of those reasons are good. But the reasons will bite you if you haven't thought through them. What is like-minded in this? Where will you draw the line? There's our line. How will you communicate where this line is and why? Your line will be tested. And it's going to be tested more and more as our culture becomes less tolerant of conscience rights professional credentials what uh, what mix do you need how many of what specialty do you want can you really use six pharmacists on a team of 24 for that matter can you use six family docs on a team of 24 it might be pushing it we've got uh, we've had teams with six medical providers and 17 medical providers seeing the exact same number of patients so we've got the data to, to to go back and look at that so now what we drive our our uh, formulary is based on not the number of providers but the area where they're going and what the what historically the number of patients that have been seen and of course two providers versus 17 providers that's going to drive uh, order of magnitude in the formulary but but it was very interesting to look and see that there was almost no difference between 6 and 17 medical providers. What kind of experience do you desire? You want all clinicians? You want people with academic training? Do you really need somebody who has tropical medicine experience in Moldova? Do you want people who have mentoring and teaching experience? That's usually good. It's always good. Spiritual training. Um, Students. Are you going to take students? How will you make sure that the students are appropriately supervised? What experiences can you promise students How will you ensure that this happens? And then then, uh, young people. Two issues here. One is maturity, and uh, that's where you can count on, on young people contributing to the overall efforts of the team while they're still benefiting from the experience. Now, maturity tends to correlate with age, but not always. The other issue, the other aspect of that really has, really uh, is appropriate behavior. What is appropriate behavior? You need to define that up front while you're recruiting. What might be considered appropriate behavior or dress um, on, a, on a state college campus in the U.S. might not quite fit in with the message you're trying to communicate in rural Nepal or in Ethiopia. How are you going to communicate dress code, tattoos, male-female behavior, Alcohol use, language, attitude, lots of issues. Cross-cultural preparedness. How will your team members, will you have team members who speak the local language? Will they know much about the local culture? How will you communicate with your team the basics of working across cultures? So finally, team preparation, which of course is not quick. It takes a lot of time. But does your team know that you're going on a medical missions trip? Do they understand your two-fold or your three-fold purpose for going? How will you communicate all of this stuff that we've talked about with your team members? When will you communicate it? You're going to do it by telephone? you going to do it by email? Nobody reads email. Well, that's an exaggeration. Few people read email. you going to use snail mail? Even few. In-person meetings? If you can do that. You're going to wing it once you arrive? And many of our teams, the training starts the evening after the first day of clinic because that's the first time we have focused attention from some people. And then how are you going to continue to teach and prepare your team while on the field? So we have a great time with this. We'd love to have any of you guys come along on any of our teams. I'd like to learn from you all. Um, actually leading the team, will take many, many, many more sessions. So uh, what questions do you have? Sir? What's your process for research into a new country that you're going to go to? Our process for researching a new country where we're going is... Uh, most of our national partners are referred to us by one of our team leaders. My team leaders are always scouting out into new areas. Sometimes it's a missionary their church supports. Sometimes it's somebody they bumped into in an, and when they were out on, in another country. We, we, um, I started this with somebody yesterday, as a matter of fact, and we talked a bit. And I got the sense that he probably knows what he's talking about in this country where he's working. He's American. He's not a national in this country where he's working. Um, we we have, a, we have a three- or four-page list of questions that we ask. Some of it's to see if somebody will bear with the, the tedious detail that I ask. It's a lot of questions that you see went by to understand the area. It's also giving me a sense if if our potential national partner understands all those questions about their particular area. And then we often, send, we often do a site survey, and that may be just one or two of us who go over and visit. It may be that we take a small team, a very experienced um, uh, trip participants. When I go into a new country, we sometimes the, if, it's a tough, if it's a tough country, a closed country, everybody on the team will be one of my team leaders. So any one of them can get lost, and I know they can get home. I don't take, I don't take new people and uh, we don 't take new people in settings like that, because any one of these people is going to be making decisions on the on the fly that that can't they don 't have time to come back to me and have me make the decision. I may be down talking to the police or in talking to the minister of health so so everyone, everyone else can handle that so that 's the process we We'll go small the first time actually we may do a site survey with just one or two people, and then the, the first team will go small. We try to go back year after year. Uh, to the same site, actually, to work with the same national partner, though they may want to go to a different site, we we uh, we negotiate all that with them. Other questions, sir. Can you give an example of a time when you had a conversation with a national about their needs, as opposed to coming in with your own agenda, doing things, how you were able to, with the limited flexibility that you have, you said you have a time skill set, how you sure. able to kind of tailor that to the needs. Sure. So how do we how do we sync up what we can do with what what they want? And I and I'll use Ethiopia again just last month because we have two national partners that both are under um, the same national organization in the U.S., which if I named you'd know it right off the bat. Um, One of them is is the spiritual arm. They do evangelism. They're licensed to do evangelism in their country. The other is is a development arm. And while they're they're followers of Christ and they and they are very clear in that. They're not licensed to do evangelism. They're licensed to do development. And and that's the guy I was spending an awful lot of time with, several several days with, as we were doing all the negotiations with the the health ministries. And and he he asked if there was a way that we could come alongside their long-term um, development, if there was a way that we could link both our short-term and long-term. He said, we want the short-term. We desperately need you guys to come in and do medical care because the people where we're serving, there has never been a medical team down there. There, there aren't any rivers within 300 kilometers. It's, it's mostly nomads who have, who have settled down. We're, we're doing the long-term sustainability with getting these communities set up, but there's just been no medical care and and uh, so he was exploring ways that we could work with him the things that came to my mind are are education health education empowerment of of uh, of families so that they would not sell their girls into into uh, um slavery um he was doing sustainable agriculture and several other things so it's it's how can we do both of those because the people that If if we're able to put funding into that, actually I can't put funding into that, but by negotiating with both of these two organizations, then I can go after funding sources in the U.S. who can come along. Our short-term trip will enhance his long-term ministry, and our short-term trip will be a benefit even for for just the two weeks that we're there. So that was was one, one superficial way. Other uh, other countries, um, we were in another country in in uh, uh, Eastern Europe, where our national partner had never been in this very closed region. And by taking a medical team in, uh, we were able to open doors for them to minister more. And again, they had a list of 800 people who had come in that they were gonna they were able to follow up with. We just happened to have a guy on our team who who was a uh, who was a financial. Financial guy from his previous life, a, mis- uh, a missions pastor at a church in in the U.S., and he's gone back two or three times a year now, doing strategic planning with churches that were that were uh, with whom we worked while we were there. So it's very interesting on how God opens those doors. The the main attitude though is one of humility, and we're going in to serve. I was asked by another big ministry in the U.S. that sends short-term teams you don't have employees in in these other countries. I said, no, in one country do we have employees? And he said, would you? I said, well, it costs a lot of money. And he said, take money off the table. I thought about it and said, no, I wouldn't. I would not have employees because then it fundamentally changes the relationship to where they are serving us when we come in. That's not what we want. We are serving them in their ministry. Sir? How do you decide based on the situation what vaccinations? Where do you get that information uh, in terms of resistance patterns and prophylactic treatment? Uh, do you go by World Health or CDC guidelines, or rely on the department's own around and tell you? Well, I did. Uh, I did tropical medicine. My tropical medicine at Tulane, and we send everybody to the CDC. We do a pilot on that one and wash our hands of it. Send everybody to the, to the CDC, and and there's uh, polio and South. In southern Ethiopia and in Sudan and in Syria now. I mean, it's just a catastrophe on how polio is spreading. There probably isn't anybody in here who's susceptible to it. Yellow fever matters, Japanese encephalitis virus matters in certain places, but it, we, we just turf right to CDC. Yeah, your volunteers are from this church or are they all scattered around the state? They are all over the continent. We have a I have a bunch of Canucks who, who come on our team. That would be Canadians for those of you who are from the lower forty eight. Do you guys do any like team building before going on the trip? And like what kind of ideas do you guys use to bring people like on before we do a lot of team building where we have a significant chunk from from one geographic area, like one of my teams recently we had twenty people from my church. And then we had fifteen or twenty people from a church in upstate new york and then and then another ten or fifteen from around the country, so we were able to have several m- geographic meetings and get people together. We use go to Meeting some of our team leaders use go to Meeting and get everybody on they tape it they or they record it, so others who aren't able to get on at the right time can still can still listen and benefit from that. We do uh, a lot of team building by emails i've I plagiarized somebody's 21-day devotional, and I've used that on some of my teams um, to really emphasize the spiritual aspect of preparation. And I've gotten wonderful feedback on the the second day of the team where, where people will talk about how it's like we've known each other for 10 years. We're, it's like we're family and we've known each other for 10 years, even though they've known each other for 48 hours and they've been asleep for half that time. So we really emphasize the team building, the team unity, um, coming to morning devotions and uh, our evening God sightings right after dinner is a uh, required attendance. One or two people have gone home because they've agreed to do that and then have changed their mind on the team. That's very, very, very important to us. So we we are pretty clear on communicating that, and it's great for great for teams. Yes, ma'am. You also do the internet introductions. Right. We we send around. Um, we we do a lot of uh, email sharing, um, and some people share a lot. Some people share a little. Some people will do a paragraph or two. These are the surgeons and the pathologists, and and then and then we have others who who will give a whole lot more information about themselves. So there's a whole lot of electronic sharing. Last question. Okay, um, as far as this is concerned, what sort of factors do you look for when you're going over there to make sure that you're spending the same? We, um, we have a security contractor. We have insurance where that we, we have on everybody that has three elements. One is emergency hospitalization insurance covers things if you get admitted to hospital up to a certain amount that seems to be adequate. We have emergency medical evacuation insurance that just got bumped up to a maximum of $150,000 because it cost 140 dollars to evacuate somebody from Nairobi, Kenya, back to, back to Virginia. Um, and then we have uh, emergency security evacuation insurance. Um, I get a daily email from our contractor who does emergency security. And I can tell you today what happened yesterday. I can tell you this morning. I didn't read the email yet because uh, I'm not going anywhere in the next three days. But uh, it tells about what riot happened in a certain part of a country. Um, we go back to our security contractor. I asked him specifically about where we are going in, in Ethiopia, and they told me all the, the politics. And, and, but our main Feedback comes from the guys on the ground, the guys and gals on the ground, because they really know what's going on. You don't, I don't read the newspapers. I do, but they're a waste of time. And, and uh, you want, you want there are there's some uh, institutions that refer people to the State Department um, warnings. And if you read the State Department warnings and followed them, you'd probably never leave your house. They're so uh, hypersensitive, but they're not there to really give you actionable information. There's some, a certain amount of uh, covering their backside on that. Um, so with that, I will turn this off. I'm going to keep answering your question in a minute.